Amen. Amen. It's so good to be here uh, this morning. I don't know about you, but I've been absolutely loving this mini-series we've been doing in the book of Daniel. And today is the final one. It's the fourth one, and we're going to be in Daniel 6. And so for those of you that haven't been before, I'm going to give you a very brief history of what we've seen so far uh, in this book, and then we're going to crack on with Daniel 6. So We meet Daniel at the beginning in training, and even in that moment, he stood out from all the others, only eating and drinking what he felt was right to do. And as a result, he was chosen to work in the king's service. And the king at that time was King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, that's a tongue twister if there ever was one, he had a dream, and it was a dream that terrified him and worried him. And he gathered as many people as he could to try and interpret the dream, but no one could interpret the dream apart from Daniel. And Daniel not only could interpret the dream, but he could also tell him what the dream was that he had. And as a result of this, King Nebuchadnezzar put him in charge of the whole province. Daniel had made three friends, and he made these friends administrators in over the province. And they were the three people we met last week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And after a few more dreams and God humbling King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel found himself with a new king. This time, his second king was King Nebuchadnezzar's son, King Belshazzar. And he wasn't a king like King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't take God seriously at all, so much so that God showed up by writing on a wall. And this absolutely terrified King Belshazzar. And of course, Daniel yet again comes along and interprets the writing on the wall. And even after Daniel's protest, King Belshazzar gives him uh, some lavish gifts and makes him the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then King Belshazzar dies, and Daniel finds himself with a third king. By this time, Daniel's getting on in age, and this king is King Darius. And Darius, King Darius is the king that we find who is in charge uh, of the kingdom at the time that we're going to be reading about today. Now, Darius split the kingdom up into 120 different regions, and he split those 120 different regions into three, and he put three administrators in charge, and one of those administrators was Daniel. But in that moment, Daniel outshone the other two, and so King Darius decided he's going to put him in charge of the other administrators. Well, you can imagine They were extremely jealous and not happy at all. And so that's where we find ourselves today in Daniel 6. But it's a long passage, so for the sake of brevity, we're going to jump in and out a little bit, and I'm going to just fill in the gap. So we're going to start Daniel 6, verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps, they were the guys underneath the administrators, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But... They were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it is something to do with the law of his God. So all the men gathered together and they decided they were going to find a way that they could get Daniel charged. So they decided the one thing that Daniel does is he prays. So what we're going to say is for the next 30 days that no one can pray to anyone apart from King Darius. 
And so they spoke to King Darius and they said, if anyone does that, we reckon you should throw them in a den of lions. Real, live lions. And not only that, mate, but we also, probably didn't say mate, also we would like you to put it in writing so there's no way that they can go back, he, you can go back against it. And so he did. So now we go back in at verse 10 when Daniel hears about the decree that's put in place and we find out what Daniel does. So in verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the degree you, decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And the king realized there wasn't anything he could do. He tried all he could to see whether he could find some way of getting out of it. But alas, he couldn't. It was in writing. And then dear Darius just before he put Daniel in the lion's den. At verse 16, he says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And then he spent a very restless night. No eating, no drinking, no entertainment, and certainly no sleep. So let's pick back up at verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? I wonder how long that pause was in that moment. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong to you before your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, get this, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who, were falsely, who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lions, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow, 
Isn't that just amazing? And I think there are three things that we could learn from this story of Daniel. And the first is about his personal integrity. What I didn't know before this week was that if you go fishing, you are only allowed to catch certain fish at certain times of the year, and you're only allowed to take them home if it is within that season. Every day is a school day. This week, I was reading a story about an 11-year-old boy who lived in New Hampshire in the United States, and he loved fishing. His dad had a cabin in the middle of the lake, and at the bottom of the cabin, there was a dock, and he would go out and he would practice fishing time and time again. And one evening, his dad went with him. The sun was down, the moon was up, they were at the bottom of the dock, and they had been catching fish. And then the boy put a new lure on the bottom of his rod, and he cast it out into the water. As time went on, he noticed that his rod was doubling over in size. It was bending lower and lower down. He looked at his dad, and his dad looked at him. And he wound very carefully the line in, carefully round the side of the dock. And he lifted up a huge, gigantic bass. The bass would have been bigger than this. I don't actually know that this is a bass, but it will do. He looked at the bass and he looked at his dad. His dad struck a match and he looked at his watch and he said, son, it's 10 o'clock. Bass season doesn't start till midnight. The boy looked up at his dad and he said, dad, but I'm never going to catch a fish this big ever again. And his dad said to him, there'll be other fish, son. He said, yeah, but not as big as this one. And the boy looked around the lake. There was not another fisherman on the lake. There was not another boat in sight. It was just him and his dad. But when he looked up at his dad's face, he knew that look in his face was non-negotiable. So very carefully, he unhooked the hook out of the bass's mouth and he let it go back into the water. That boy is now 34 years old and he's an architect in New York City. And he still goes and takes his children to that little cabin in the middle of the lake in New Hampshire. And he was right. Never again did he catch a fish that big. But he sees that fish time and time and time again. Whenever he's faced with a question of ethics or integrity, he sees that fish. Daniel was a man of integrity in his personal life. We see right at the beginning when all of the other administrators are jealous of him that they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And I want to suggest today that I think there might have been a secret to his integrity and that was his prayer life. We read in verse 10 that Daniel prayed three times a day in an upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem on his knees and giving thanks. I'd suggest that when we pray, we could follow some of Daniel's example. He went to an upstairs room, a place that was private. We could find a place that's just between us and God, and we could spend time with him every day when no one is looking. He prayed three times a day. It was continual. It wasn't just a one-off moment. You see, for Daniel, prayer was his backbone and not a wishbone. 
It was a part of who he was, not just in a moment of need did he pray, but he prayed all the time. Not that there's anything wrong with those moments of, Lord, we need your help. We see that in verse 11, don't we? Because he, Daniel says, God, would you help me? And that's what the men find him doing. He prayed facing Jerusalem. So many times when I'm praying, it's all about me and it's not about how awesome our God is. And in fact, even last night as I was laying in bed thinking about tonight and I was praying, it was so easy to be like, Lord, help me, help me get ready for tomorrow. Instead of focusing on God, you are awesome and you are in control and I can trust in you. He had his knees bowed. It's a sign of humility. When we pray, are our hearts soft and humble and open towards God? And he gave thanks. Just now is a really difficult time, and it's so easy, isn't it, to focus on all the things that are difficult, all the things that are wrong. But actually, I wonder what would happen if we gave thanks for what God is doing and what we do have instead of focusing on the things that we don't. The young 11-year-old, now 34, and Daniel both show us that what happens when no one is looking directs what will happen when people are looking. Our personal integrity directs our public integrity. And that is my second point. Daniel had public integrity. I love watching tennis. Tennis is probably my most favorite game to watch on TV. In fact, a couple of years ago, I even got to go to Wimbledon. And so I love a tennis story. Some of you might have heard of the former American world number one, Andy Roddick. And in Rome in 2005, he was playing on a clay court against a Spanish guy called uh, Fernando Vadasco. And I'd really recommend that you have a little watch of it. You see, the contest had reached a point where Roddick had a match point and Vadasco was serving for the match. Vadasco put his first serve and his first serve missed. It was out and he had his second serve. Andy Roddick, if he missed this second serve, if Vadasco missed his second serve, Andy Roddick was about to win. And and Vadasco served and the umpire called game, set and match Andy Roddick. But Andy Roddick stopped the match. You see, everyone else had thought that the ball was out. But Andy Roddick, from where he was standing on the clay court, could see the dent where the ball had actually hit and gone in. And he gave the point to Fernando Vadasco in that moment. And actually, Vadasco ended up winning that game, that set, and in fact, the whole match. And what I love is, at the end of it, when he was being interviewed, uh, Roddick, everyone thought he'd be down in the dumps and gutted that he gave away that point, but he was actually really upbeat about it because, you see, he was a man of integrity, and for him, it was right to do the right thing. For Daniel to do what was right in that situation that he found him in wasn't just a matter of losing a tennis match. Much more was at stake he was about to be thrown into a den of lions and eaten alive. Let's let that sink in for a moment. To do what was right and to continue praying when he'd been told only to pray to King Darius could mean and would mean that Daniel could have been eaten alive by lions. But what did he do? 
he went home and he prayed to his God. He did what he knew was right to do because in his personal life, prayer was his backbone. Both Roddick and Daniel had a lot to lose by doing the right thing in that moment, arguably one more than the other. Tennis match versus his life. And as I was preparing for today, I felt like there were maybe two uh, sets of people that maybe need some prayer. And the first set is people who are facing really difficult decisions, and maybe it's a difficult decision at work. Maybe it's a difficult decision in a relationship. And maybe by making the right decision, other people would think you are absolutely crazy. But you know what's the right decision to make. And if that's you and you're struggling with that, we would love to stand with you and pray. And just as Kirsty said earlier, I know for a fact the site pastors are sitting at home with their laptops waiting for someone to click request a prayer button and they would love to pray for you. So please do do that. If you're watching this live, then I'm sure that, not live, at our in-person services, sorry, I'm sure that the guys who are hosting will make an opportunity for you to be prayed for in a very safe way, I'm sure. And uh, also, I felt like there were some other people, a second group of people, who felt like, actually, I have been doing what's right. But it's gone unnoticed. No one noticed when I did the right thing. I felt like God was saying, I've noticed. And I was reminded of a verse in Thessalonians where Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. And it says this in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. Never tire of doing what is good. And I just wonder whether there were some people who were tired this morning of doing the right thing. And we would really love to pray with you and stand with you in that moment. But do you know, the most incredible thing that I find when I read this story of Daniel in the lion's den is the fact that throughout Daniel's life, his integrity and his relationship with God meant that people noticed his God. It meant that he had a very public witness. And that is my third point, that his personal integrity, which led to his public integrity, meant that he had a very public witness. Here's my lion. (laughs) It wouldn't have been plastic, by the way. It would have been real. (laughs) One of the parts in the passage that I find most interesting is the part where King Darius says to Daniel in verse 16, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Because of Daniel's life, King Darius knew that Daniel's God could rescue him. So much so that in that morning, in that moment, he went down to the den of lions and he called out for Daniel. If he didn't think that Daniel's God would have rescued him, I reckon he'd have sent somebody else to see the mess that had been left. He just had Daniel thrown into a den of lions, not plastic ones, but real ones. I found that so incredibly challenging. And I uh, read a quote this week, or it might have been last week, on Nikki Gumbel's Instagram page by a theologian called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it said this, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. 
Daniel's life most certainly made non-believers question their disbelief in God. But it even went further than that. His life meant that people started to believe in God. I'm wondering whether I'm ensuring that there are moments in my life where people question their disbelief in God. You see, we see the most incredible supernatural moments throughout the book of Daniel that happen, from dreams being interpreted to writing on a wall to men coming out of a fiery furnace, not even smelling of smoke, to guys going into a den of lions and coming out without even a wound on them. These are moments where God intervened in a supernatural way. And what happened every single time? Kings, rulers, people praised God. King Darius was moved so much that he wrote to tell all people, nations, men of every language throughout the land that they were to worship the God of Daniel because he was the living God. I so desperately want people to look at my life and want to tell other people about my God. I want people to look at my life and for my God to become their God too. If you want to know the God of Daniel yourself, the God that Daniel was prepared to throw himself into the lion's den for, if you want to know my God... I'd love, or we would love, to introduce you to him this morning. And all you need to do is surrender your life to Jesus. And I think there'll be a button that comes up on the live stream where you can raise a hand and say, I want that God, the God of Daniel, to be my God too. So let's pray. God, I need you. I am so sorry I haven't lived my life with you as the leader and I've gone my own way. Thank you for sending Jesus to take the punishment for all the things that I have ever done wrong. And I accept that he died on the cross for me and he came back to life. Thank you that because of that, I can have a relationship with you. And please help me to live my life with you and for you. And God, for the rest of us, please help us to live lives of integrity in the places that no one else sees. Thank you that you are with us and you are for us. Thank you that even if we face a den of lions, that you're with us. And God, today we choose to trust in you. Amen.